Welcome to the latest edition of the Shukri Rights Podcast with your host, Shukri Rights. Today, I am joined by former NHLer and Stanley Cup champion, Mr. Cam Connor, who joins the Shukri Rights Podcast. Good day to you, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. Um, I'm excited to, to have you on, and, and, and it's crazy that here we are like near the end of May and in, in such unprecedented times. Like, how have How have you been impacted by this pandemic, especially given that you're, um, that you're um, in, in Alberta, exactly? Well, overall, the province of Alberta, mm-hmm. we've got the two main cities. One is Edmonton, one is Calgary, and we both have, both have NHL teams. Mm-hmm. Um, the Calgary has, their numbers are probably five or six times the rate of infection in Calgary than in Edmonton. Wow. So overall, where I live, it is not too bad if there's such a thing as not too bad. Um, you know, so at, I, I'm going to retire in about two months from work. And uh, our office, which maybe our Edmonton office has maybe 80, 90 people in it. Uh, we were told we could stay home. I just know that I'd be cheating a company out of a good day's work if I stayed home because I might say, hey, I like that show. I think I'm going to watch it, you know. And and so I realized that by going into the office, I dedicate mm-hmm. myself. I'm in the work environment. And wow. so I go I go in every day, uh, regardless. And there's maybe only eight of us that go in the office. And we're quite spread out. So so for me personally, it's been okay. So like how, how has the social distancing um, aspect been um, in, in, in Alberta, given uh, as the rules seem – uh, here in the States as compared to uh, in, in Canada, or is it a little bit different? Well, you know, we watch all the U.S. stations, and I mean, I lived in the States for 12 years, and I got to tell you, buddy, for me personally, I I enjoyed, my wife enjoyed the States so much. Mm. My daughter is American. Um, so we, we watch the CNN and all the different uh, U.S. stations. Mm. And so from what I've seen on television, um, I think we're pretty well along the same lines. I don't think as some of your major cities, you know, as we talk about New York City, yeah, you know, that's pretty bad. And we have in Canada, Toronto and Montreal, which are some of the larger cities in Canada. And their infection rate is much higher than the rest of the country. But, mm-hmm. you know, we do the six feet distancing minimum um when we're out in public they encourage you to wear you know a mask Mm -hmm. um wash your hands all the time i think it's pretty well identical information within both countries excellent which is which is which is terrific and i want to ask you you had you 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 were born and raised in, in winnipeg and I'm curious to ask about your your background growing up, especially um, like now, obviously with the Winnipeg Jacks having returned back um, to to Winnipeg 2.0 after they were originally there but left to to move on to Phoenix in '96. Tell me about your your um, your growing up um, years, like growing up in, in Winnipeg and falling in love with hockey. Well, you know, this is not bragging by any means, mm-hmm. but when I grew up, I was I don't think the word was hyper, but I had a lot of energy. Ah. Uh, and so, you know, if my dad was to take us, you know, out for a treat for an ice cream cone, he said, have whatever you want. 
I'd say, I have a large ice cream cone. No, you're not. You're having a small. I said, well, why do you even ask me, right? Like, why you ask me what, what I want? Well, the one thing he was never tight with was sports. And so I played, I was on the water polo team. I've wow. got one level below lifeguards. Mm. Um, I played lacrosse, football, soccer, obviously hockey, mm. baseball, like tennis, like all that. Hey? And so anytime I said I want to join sports, he never said, well, it's going to cost a lot. He said, no problem. So, so for me, growing up in Winnipeg, um, I was probably best as a baseball player. Now, you can't compare with the people from Dominican Republic or, you know, even from your great country as far as the athletes coming out playing baseball. Because, I mean, in Florida, you probably have baseball, you know, 12 months of the year. Yeah. Whereas in Winnipeg, it's limited because you got winter. But one thing that I did have going for me is I was probably one of the better pitchers, if not, and I don't mean to brag, <laughs> probably the best pitcher for 16, 17 years old. And the only reason that I say that is because when I was growing up, my dad was always chirping me about, how are you going to be any good at anything you would ever practice? And so he was always on me. So then one day he said, i tell you what, and we didn't have a dishwasher, but we had three kids. So one kid had to wash the dishes, one had to dry, and one had to clean the table off. He said, okay, you can do that, or we can practice pitching after supper every night. What would you do? <laughs> well, I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll practice the pitches. So every single night, all summer long, I was out there throwing a baseball between my house and the neighbor's house. My dad was the catcher. And I'd bring home the catcher's mitt, and every single night I practiced. And in my summer jobs, I worked for a concrete company. And I don't know if you know what cinder blocks are. Yes. So my summer job was to pile. They, they would come out. They would be in a steam room overnight. They'd come out hard in the next day. And uh, they would bring them over almost like on a bread rack. And my job was to reach in there and to pull them off the shelf and put them on a pallet behind me. So I piled over 2,000 of those a day. Wow. Ooh. And those things are about 30, 35 pounds. And so I was getting bigger and stronger without really trying. That was just my summer job. So now when I'm throwing a baseball, I could throw it harder than most kids my age. And so that's why, you know, I'm, I'm saying I was probably one of the better, if not the best, just because I practiced more. And my summer jobs made my arms and shoulders stronger. So I, I did okay. Plus, you know, we didn't really have any good baseball coaches because we had nobody that ever made it professionally in baseball. Mm. Um, but I mean, I learned how to do a drop ball, a curve ball, a slider, and all those things on my own, just <laughs> throwing at my dad. So, so, you know, and in football, I played with guys that were two years older than me. And I was just an aggressive kid, kid growing up, and that's probably a little bigger for my size. So I played with the older groups in, in organized football. Mm. And I made the provincial all-star team versus guys that were two years older than me. So those were probably my two best sports. Wow. And, but hockey was so damn hard. Wow. 
I would practice every single day in the winter that I could get out there. We had outdoor skating rinks mm -hmm. and you could go 10 minutes in one direction or 10 minutes in another. You had a surface of ice that you could get on and skate and bring your stick and a puck. So, you know, we had a great advantage over a lot of individuals that maybe loved the sport and never quite got to the level that I was fortunate enough to get to. But I was in a position where I could practice more. And, you know, I never had a goal that I got to be a professional athlete. I just enjoyed the competition. And so with hockey, that was my third best sport. Really? And so, wow. but it got to the point where my football practices and my baseball were just kind of running into the start of uh, hockey. Mm -hmm. And so the coaches pretty well said to me, hey, you got to make a choice. You can't be running from one over to the next and then being late for the next event. Pick one. So all my buddies said football, baseball, football. I just said, you know what? I love the game of hockey. It is so damn hard for me that, uh, again, never – picturing, you know, well, which one have I got a better chance to make it? I just picked hockey because it was the hardest for me. And mm. if I got a goal or I did something good on the ice, man, I was all pumped up for a week. <laughs> and so, you know, that's, that's the reason that I lean towards hockey. And so I started concentrating more on hockey. And, you know, I, I'm, you don't want to be familiar with the weather in Winnipeg. Oh, freaking cold. And I'm, I'm not even wow. exaggerating. I'm Seriously. Not exaggerating. You're looking at times wow. quite often 30, 40, 50 below zero. And then when you get the wind blowing, now stop. When you get the wind blowing, wow. Manitoba, where I'm from, Winnipeg, mm -hmm. doesn't have any mountains. It's as flat as a desk. And so that. And, it's, and, and the wind just blows and you freeze your butt off. And wow. so, you know what? I guess I was tougher when I was a kid. So I just dress up warm <laughs> and nobody else would be on the rink. And I'd be out there skating and shooting a puck. And once you start skating and shooting, you warm up a lot more than you believe. And so I just did that way, way more than anybody else. And there was a guy that played for the Islanders who I think, I'm not sure, is in the Hockey Hall of Fame. His name is Butch Gorin. And uh, Butch and I grew up in the same area. We lived maybe a mile apart. And as a kid, he was a, he was a little guy. He was only 5'6", five, 5'7", five, five, but he was a good, good hockey player. You knew he was going to make it. Nobody knew that I was going to make it because we were just different types of players. And so Butch was always skating outdoors, and I was always skating outdoor again, you know. That's, that's what Winnipeg's all about, and uh, that's pretty well. Like I said, I was in all sports, and hockey was just my favorite. Wow. Um, I've, ne I've never been to Winnipeg yet, and the fact that you described it so well in terms of you mentioned there's no mountain, so when, it, so when the wind blew with the minus 50-degree temperatures, it was, it, it was like death almost. <laughs> well, so you, you obviously being from Boston, you know who Don Cherry is. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So Don Cherry described Winnipeg. He said, Winnipeg is so flat. It's the only spot that you can see your dog run away for three days. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> so I, I, I always wow. analogy that, that that's true. It is just as flat as you can see. It's wow. just unbelievable. So, 
But you know, the weather has changed now. I can't speak about Boston, mm -hmm. but Winnipeg and Edmonton were so cold. But now that I live in Edmonton, the weather is not nearly as, as bad as it was in the 60s and 70s as Winnipeg. So when I look at the temperatures in Winnipeg, it, it's just never get to that same coldness as it used to, right? So yeah. So, but you know, I'm, you know, I don't know if you want to live there because it, it's. Everybody, <laughs> I'm telling you that. You know, you know what's funny? Um, I I thought about like living in in Canada in terms of for the fact that I'm that I'm currently I'm working on my sports my sports uh, media career being a radio yes. radio host here in Boston and yes. as well as a podcast yep. host but but Edmonton I feel, I feel like just based on listening to your to your explanation it sounds like you have to be built a, a special type of tough to be able to handle those type of winters and I thought that oh Chicago's was bad but that but, but hearing about Edmonton or Winnipeg was like whoa well, it, it is cold. Like I mean, it's not as cold as it was, but you know, it's uh, it's cold and it's funny. I used to be in the computer consulting business mm. when I got out of hockey. Yeah, I started in uh, New York City for four years and then uh, moved back to Canada. And that, like I said, that was the only job I ever had after hockey was computer consulting, which is hard to believe because I couldn't get on under your site without my wife's, <laughs> my wife's help. But I didn't have to know anything at all. Um, I just had to talk about it. And so that, that's what I did. And I, I opened my own company in Edmonton many years ago and I hired a guy from Iran. Wow. And so he's never been in real cold weather before. And I picked him up at the airport. And two things I remember, he had the biggest freaking suitcase I've seen in my whole life. <laughs> it, was, it was bigger than him. I was laughing. I never see, it's like a clown suitcase. And then I was laughing inside because we're indoors at the Edmonton International Airport, mm -hmm. and it was probably the coldest day in 15 years wow. in Edmonton. Like it was scary cold, and I'm just saying, wait till he, because he doesn't know anything about Edmonton. Oh, and so when he walked outside, seriously, I'm laughing inside, just waiting for him to say something, <laughs> and I think he took about 20 steps, and he said. What am I doing here? <laughs> so, so I, I mean, I, I, ex I expected that reaction because it's uh, like he's just not used to it, right? Yeah. It's like growing up in Hawaii or somewhere nice and warm, and then all of a sudden you're thrown outside and you don't even really know where you're going. So, mm. anyways, that, that was always cute. So, I think you'd have the same reaction depending what day you arrived and what the weather was like. You could just say, uh, when's the return flight to Boston? <laughs> At first, um, I'm not sure. I'm not even sure, like how how I would even react. I can't even begin to like imagine. But one thing I'll ask you is, like, how would you best categorize your style of play when you played um, when you played hockey coming up through juniors? You know, I was always uh, an aggressive player um, I had a uh, unfortunately a lot of street fights but you know you know I never took fighting lessons or anything like that uh, I think you know if you've heard my podcast before I talk about my best friend Rowdy Roddy Piper oh wow and so so Rod and I he was the light heavyweight I think Golden Gloves boxing champ for Toronto 
In wow. Toronto's, I don't know how many people there, seven, eight, nine million, like quite a few. So, you know, you're not talking about some little Springfield, Massachusetts spot. I mean, yeah, you know, this is a massive title, city, right? You took on some good tough boys. So Ron and I used to throw the gloves on and spar and uh, we got in our share of fights, that's for sure. And um, so it, it just, when you get on the ice in hockey, especially back in the old days, today, you can't do anything without getting a penalty. Mm. And uh, like it's, they, they've taken, I used to call it a man's sport, man. You better show up because it's a tough game, right? Mm. There's, there's no out of bounds in hockey. You're going to get hit. You can't run off the sidelines and not get hit. You mm. get hit. It's that simple. And so, you know, fights are allowed in hockey so let's just say you know i hit you and i meant to hit you fair and square but i didn't realize i just elbowed you in the face mm. well you don't really appreciate that and in hockey you know you might try to slash me back and all of a sudden we drop the gloves and that's just how the game of hockey worked and so in junior um when i was 17 i started in junior hockey and and you know there was a lot of bigger boys and that could be 19 or 20, but I was 17 and I fought all those guys because I was scared to death. And so when you're scared in a fight, you could fight mm -hmm. good. I was throwing them a mile a minute as fast. I didn't know if I could fight, but I'd be fighting. And I was winning my fights and I was winning my fights. And then I get 18 and I get 19. And so it got to the point where being aggressive, the fighting created some space for me on the ice because people just left me alone instead of trying to run me and be aggressive because they knew they were going to pay a price if they did that. Mm. So I had a lot of freedom out there in my last year of junior, which was my draft year at 19. Um, I racked up some lots of points and lots of penalty minutes. I probably averaged six, seven penalty minutes a game. Wow. Which is quite a bit. So anyways, but I also averaged a point and a half a game. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. So, you know, so from junior, I, and I also, it's important to me, is, and probably yourself, I, I would speak for everybody. There's very few people that, we had coaches like when I played in, in Montreal, Scotty Bowman, okay. He's, oh, the legend, you know, wow. Well, okay, he's, you know, he's won his share of Stanley Cups and led teams, but it, I can't play for that man because he was the grumpiest, nastiest man to me you ever saw. And, wow. and in order for me to, I didn't have the confidence that I probably should have had with my abilities and what I could do. Yeah. And Bowman, the guys told me, they said, Bowman is, is nasty to everybody on the team. He said, but, you know, Cam, I've been here eight years, these guys on the team were saying, and I got to tell you, he's been the worst to you in all the years I've been here. And so in order to get the most out of me, I need a pat on the back and say, well, you know what? You took the body in the corner and you came out with the puck and that's exactly what I want you to do. Good job. But when you're back checking, just make sure you do this, right? And I would grow when you talk to me like that versus what the hell are you doing? What are you doing? And start screaming at me. So when I started playing in the National Hockey League for us, Scotty Bowman, I was more mechanical. Instead of getting out there and playing the game I could play, I was overthinking things. I didn't want to go off my wing. 
he wouldn't even notice that I was out there because I just made sure I didn't make a mistake. I covered my defenseman in our, in our own end, you know, versus the way I could play by being all over the ice, running bodies, getting involved. And, you know, you try not to make mistakes, but Bowman never really allowed me to get my confidence. And so I can't blame anybody but myself for, I, I didn't have a good, I didn't have a good year in Montreal. Then I would go over to the Edmonton Oilers in the National Hockey League. And, and uh, it was pretty unlucky for me. I broke my hand two or three times that year fighting. I cracked my kneecap. I separated my shoulder a few times. I had a, I, I had a, a chromosome problem that put me out for a while. And so it was just not a good start for me. And I never had a real good career in the National Hockey League even though I probably had the potential, um, I, I just didn't do very good. And, and I'm sort of ashamed that I ended my career at the minors, uh, to be honest with you. But you know what? I mean, I'm just that much more wise today. My next life, I'm going to be so smart, I can tell you. So <laughs> I, I, I believe it. And it's, it's one of those... <clears throat> One of those things where, like, when I was when I was reading about or, or reading about your career, and one of the things that um, that really that struck me was, okay, because I wanted to ask you about what was your experience or what is your memory of being drafted? I believe it was fifth overall in nineteen in the nineteen seventy four NHL amateur draft by Montreal. Gotcha. What was that experience and that memory like for you? Well, you know. I, uh, as I said earlier in the podcast, I never thought I had the ability to ever make it to the National Hockey League. Um, I didn't have it as a goal. My only goal was, is when I was 19, I was a rookie in what's called the Western Canada Hockey League. So it's for four provinces. And um, this is my first year on this top junior team. And there was guys that that had been on that team like five or six of them for at least three to four years. And so when they're picking a captain the year I was there, those would have been the obvious choices, but this coach saw something in me that other coaches hadn't seen. And he named me the captain of the team. And by giving me that confidence by somebody putting their faith in me and the local paper criticized him, saying, why would you name a rookie captain? You got all these guys on the team. And because this man put his faith in me, I told myself I would never let this man down. So every single practice and every drill we did, I had to be first. I gave her 120%. And then when we were playing the games, if you were on my team and somebody was pushing you around and wanted to fight you and I was on the ice, get out of the way, let me in there, and I'd fight the guy. I just felt like, you know, the guys on my team, like I was the, you know, the guard dog guarding my flock. Mm. And so I think I had the right attitude, and I was in such good shape that year that, uh, like I said earlier, I, I played aggressive hockey, and all the tough guys challenged me, and I beat them all. And so, you know, my confidence just grew. The coach's confidence in me grew. And I know the other players on, on, our, on my team, after warm-ups, they come back in and they say, man, you see all the junior scouts that are up in the stands? 
I never even looked up there one time. I didn't even think about scouts. I just wanted to do a good job for my coach. And uh, that, that's all I would, that was my only goal. And it wasn't until February, March of that year that I happened to pick up what's called the Hockey News. And I was looking at it and it said, Camp Connor is going to be a first round draft choice in the NHL and in the rival World Hockey Association. And I had to read that five times because I didn't, I said, I can't grasp this. I'm going to be a first rounder. Mm. And so it came as a shock when I read about it. I knew I had a good season. Where would that place me in the NHL draft? I had no idea. I never followed it as a kid. I was ignorant. And so it's not like today's draft. They would, you know, the guys they know are going high. They fly them in and you're at the draft site and they call you on stage. They didn't do that. They just phoned my house after the draft and said, my agent phoned me. And he said, oh, uh, you're number one pick of Montreal Canadiens, number five. And I'm, you're going to laugh at what I'm going to tell you. But I didn't, I didn't know much about hockey and drafting or anything. Wow. And I said, is that good? You know, <laughs> is it like almost like a you retarded? Yes, that's good, right? And so, anyway, so that was my learning curve starting right then and there about okay, here's what I'm going to be doing for the next five or ten years. And I, I learned so much because uh, I was clueless going into it. The one thing, the one thing I want to ask you, and you you talked about briefly Scotty Bowman, and yeah. I've read stories over the years talking about um, Scotty Bowman best coached using intimidation. How true is, is that assessment? And, and based on your experiences playing for Scotty Bowman in Montreal, did, did, did that help you or did it impact you negatively in terms of your ability to, to find your game at the NHL level as compared to when you were playing in juniors? Well, the, it goes back to what I said earlier. He ruled through negative reinforcement, not positive reinforcement. And that's just, I'll do my best every game. But if you look at the junior coach and how he would pat me on the back and gave me confidence, and my abilities came out. And I played the game without even thinking. It was spontaneous. Whereas Bowman was yelling at me every single day. He was on my case about something. He never, here's a good example. Mm. So we're in Buffalo for exhibition game and I'm just been on the team a week. And so I come out of my hotel room and he's walking towards me going to his hotel room. And even if you don't, you know, he's the coach, I'm a player, you know, we don't just walk by. You at least are polite and you say hello when you walk by somebody. And I just went, oh, hi, Scotty. He just looked at the ceiling and he just walked right by me without even acknowledging I was there. Wow. That's the first week. And I'm thinking, wow, I don't think he likes me, right? But little did I know, that's how everybody, he treats everybody. And so after two to three weeks of being in Montreal, and having Scotty Bowman as my coach and getting yelled at every single day, not one positive at all. He, uh, I, there was uh, his predecessor was a guy named Toe Blake. Mm. And so Toe was, when there was only six teams in the NHL, if you played in the NHL and you didn't like what was happening, you had no alternative. 
There was no other league you can go to. You can't fly and play in Sweden. There was just no option. So you, that's how all the teams coached their guys because they could get away with that. If you were acting like Scotty Bowman today in the NHL, he wouldn't last very long at all because the power has kind of swung more to the players than mm-hmm. just the coach. And so it's, it's switched in that game of hockey now. And so I remember I was after one practice, I was just bummed right out the way Bowman was all over me. And so I heard this, that Toe Blake was in a hospital in Montreal. So he didn't know me and I didn't know him. So after practice, I drove to the hospital and I uh, found out which room he was in. And I humbly went into his room and, you know, thank heavens he was by himself. And I said, Toe, you don't know me. I said, but my name is Cam Connor. And he said, oh, Cam, I know who you are. How are you doing? And he made me feel comfortable. And so we had a little small talk. And I said to Toe, my exact words, I said, Toe, you got to tell me, do you have to be a prick to coach this game? And he said, yeah, you do. He said, but that was old school. You know, you as a coach, you have to look at the players you have. And so some of your players, you have to push and some you pull. And so the ones that you push, there was a guy on our team in Montreal named Pierre LaRouche. And Pierre scored 50 goals at least twice in the NHL. He had all the confidence in the world. And you could yell at him and scream at him. It wouldn't hurt his confidence one little bit, and he'd pick it up a little bit harder and work harder. Okay? Whereas myself, you want to yell and scream at me, I'll try my best, but it actually deflates me, and I don't play nearly as well. And so as a coach, you can't paint everybody with the same brush and treat them all negative. Because some guys, you know, it doesn't bother them. Other guys, it doesn't. So if you want to bring out the best in your hockey players on your team or any sport, you got to know as a coach each guy's personality and what makes them tick and how do I make them better. And if it's not through yelling and screaming at them, then let's start patting them on the back and making them grow and believe in themselves. And that's what I didn't have with Scotty Bowman. You played on that 1978-1979 Stanley Cup champion Montreal Canadiens team. And as a, as a hockey nut myself, I couldn't believe the amount of Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers and legends that were yeah. loaded on that team. Like guys like one of the greatest defensemen of all time in Larry Robinson. And you talk about Serge Savard. You talk about guys like um, y- Yvonne Connoyer and – you know, oh, yeah. Guy, 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 yeah. I, I, I just, I was just like, wait, seriously, yeah. this, this is, a, this is an all-star team in itself. And so I, I gotta ask you like, what made that team so incredible aside from the talent, but what made that team so incredible to, um, to, to play with and why they were able to um, excel at such a high level come the Stanley Cup playoffs? Well, first of all, they all had talent. Like all those guys you just named, they had some ability, but their work ethic. I've seen when I was younger, and I believe this carries into pro, mm-hmm. there was guys that had way, way more natural ability than me. And so they never practiced and they'd show up for the game and practice it and work hard and they'd be outstanding in the game. Whereas me, I kept working hard all the time. And at about age 15, the guys that never practiced with talent 
and a guy like me who didn't have natural ability, but I was putting in the work ethic, mm. I caught up to him. And then at about 15, 16, 17, I overtook him with abilities and, and make it a, my presence known. Mm. So these guys, they had the ability, but they also had a work ethic. And, um, you know, they, and one of the things that I think is very, very important, and I don't, when I played with the New York Rangers, after practice, we would say, and we had Wayne Cashman on our team back then too. Oh, wow. And he came over and uh, Wayne, I got to tell you, I got lots of stories. Was Phil, was Phil Esposito also on that team as well? Yeah, yeah okay. he was. So we practiced an hour outside of New York City, and we rarely ever practiced in Madison Square Gardens. That's our home rink, right? Yeah. In Montreal, we practiced in the Montreal Forum pretty well every single practice, okay? So you mm -hmm. get to know your own rink really good. We never really got to know Madison Square Gardens until there was a game. Rarely did we ever have a practice in there. Number two, in Montreal, after we have hard practices, man, they were hard. And then, you know, the guys that would, they called them the black aces, the guys that weren't oh, getting yeah. regular ice time, yeah, like me, had to work out for another hour off ice and stay on the ice longer. It was freaking hard days. And so, so when it was all over, the guys would say, let's go for a beer. Let's go for a sandwich. And we go across the street. And I think it was called like, a, it's, it's the name, I think it's called a brasserie. Oh, wow. if, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, mm. this was back in the day, no women were allowed in the bar. Oh, wow. I know. So it was just us guys going in there, just sitting around the round table, just bullshitting and getting to know each other as people. Mm -hmm. So whenever we said, let's go, which was every day, you know, we would get between, and I'm not exaggerating, 15 to 17 guys every single day we would show up. And we would drink beer from one o'clock till five thirty in the afternoon. Okay, wow. every day, every day. <laughs> I walk out of there, and it's like the sun shining in my eyes, and I got a little buzz on. I think, but Montreal Canadiens—they drank more beer than any team I ever saw. In wow! My life. But the point being is, and if you were on the team and you didn't drink, nobody put pressure on you to drink. Nobody did. But when it came turn your turn, you would buy the round, okay? Each of us bought a round. And you didn't have to drink, but you had to buy a round for everybody. Now, and I believe that we got to know each other as people and individuals off the ice, which carried onto the ice to play as a team. Hmm. When I played with the Rangers after practice, so we practiced an hour or something outside of New York City, um, right on the New York-Connecticut border. Yeah. And, um, a lot of the guys lived around the practice rink. The single guys lived in New York City. And so when the practice was over, we had Swedish guys in our team. We had Finnish guys on the team. We had single guys. And so we'd say, let's go for a beer. Let's go for a sandwich. We would only get, seriously, for the most part, two to four to five people that would show up. Mm. The single guys would say, oh, no, we're going right back to New York City. I'm not, I don't want to sit around here. Um, the Swedes sometimes would hang with the Swedes instead of coming out. The Finns would hang with the Finns. And there was one or two married guys whose wife said, no, you got to come home right after practice. So we always chirped those guys for sure. <laughs> and gave them hell. Like, what are you doing, man? 
So, so you know what? When we got to play in Madison Square Gardens, we played like 20 individuals. Wow. We played as a team. So now when we take on the Bruins, Don Cherry, in my mind, was the catalyst to bring that team together. As a coach, he was a player's coach. And you guys had a fantastic team where everybody was believing in themselves, just like the Canadians. And at the end of the day, you know, when we won that fourth Stanley Cup, it was at Boston's expense, and that's when there was too many men on the ice. Um, and so we tied up the game and won it in overtime. Um, and I was on a podcast with Rick Middleton not too long ago. Oh, sweet. And uh, he said, we had that Stanley Cup. Like, that was ours. And I'm looking <laughs> at my Stanley Cup ring and go, thank you, Rick. I got a Stanley Cup ring now. Oh, right? the, so, the heartbreak of 79. Oh, yeah. It certainly was. Um, one thing, one thing you talked about, and it caught my attention because I was thinking as as you as you were um, talking about your your memories playing in Montreal and like going out drinking with the teammates, and I want to ask you about hockey culture because we the fans here we hear so much about hockey culture, hockey culture, hockey culture, but don't really know what that entails. What does hockey culture mean to you? I don't really know what that means. I think, you know, in my mind, a hockey culture, I mean, I think if you grew up with hockey and the Bruins have always been a great team and yeah. Bobby Orr, I mean, you've had some good role models. I mean, I could throw names back from like Cashman and Hodge, Esposito, Sanderson, yep. Johnny McKenzie, Busick. I mean, go on and on. That's kind of like the who's who. Uh, Boston is the same with the who's who of Montreal Canadiens. Yep. You had that core of guys that stayed with the team. Today, it's all about dollars and cents. You're in here, oh, you you know, you want too much money, you can't fit the salary cap, you're gone. So it's a rotating, you know, group overall. They try to keep that core of four, five, six players. But, you know, it's not like the old days where – that group of guys, they were there 10 years in a row. And you guys can relate to them and, and, and get a favorite player that's going to be there. And so in my mind, that's what hockey culture is. It's just something that stayed with you. And throughout the years, you had great teams and you could fall in love with the teams and you know they're going to be competitive and entertaining. And so it just makes you a, a sports fan. And, and that's what I define hockey culture. It's just that environment that was presented to you. Within recent months, there was a major development that came out in the NHL that actually made NHL um, headlines in, in which Akimalu, a former NHLer and, and a former Once Upon a Time Calgary Flame, yeah. came out and, talk, and, and talked about how Bill Peters, the, the former head coach of the Flames, um, used a racial slur against him. And also, in, in a recent article in the, in the Players' Tribune, Akimi Lu talked about um, some of, the, some of the, the, the racial practices and, the, and, and as well as some of the, the taunts that he, that he endured as a player and, and whatnot. And now that, now that he's using his platform to speak out about it. I want to get your thoughts as a, as both a former player and as someone who's been in an NHL locker room and in a hockey locker room. Um, 
how like when you first heard this story, did it did it harken back to a time when there where like there there were certain issues that that took place in a locker room, but it stayed in the locker room, or if someone spoke out against it, um, like how was it handled and so forth? And what did you think of the of, of Akeem Alou when you first um, heard the story? Well, you know, in all honesty, I didn't grow up with any prejudice in, in Canada. I don't know if is Peter's American or Canadian. I'm, that's a good question. I be, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, that's, I'm not either, question. but I can just speak for myself and yeah. my friends. Um, we didn't ever care if you were a native Canadian, you know, you're an Indian, you're black, you're a Chinese. We were kids and, and, and I believe prejudice starts at home. Mm -hmm. And if your parents or people that you respect starts using you know certain slang words or or clouds your views by you, their opinion at a young age you might pick up on that right i never had that in my life and none of my friends ever did i can honestly say that and i know if any of our friends were starting to be a racist or anything like that we would have said take a friggin hype man like you're not part of us and we don't think like you and so, you know, as hockey players, we always chirp each other. Like, we're, if we could find a little weakness or something, you know, if you were a single guy and you were the big fat girl the night before, we'd bug you in the dressing room about that, right? Oh, wow. But, but all in good fun. Yeah. That's all in good fun. I'm not trying to hurt the ladies' feelings, but we would, we always, this is all part of bonding with us guys, right? And so, when I heard what Peters said, like I was just disgusted. And I think most of the hockey players, and I would say, when I say most, I gotta believe, I can't speak for everybody, but I hope 98% of them, 100% of them said, there's no room for that in our sport. Like there's no room for that at all. And I'm certainly glad that the powers that be got rid of this guy. You're out of the hockey. There's no room for you. Now, I understand he's coaching maybe in Russia or somewhere now. Yeah. Yes, you know yes. which, You know what? I think he should have been just left right out of the game of hockey 100%. It doesn't matter which country. I hope that followed him. But I guess it didn't. Um, you know, because sometimes they say, oh, well, you know, he's learned a lesson. And, and so we'll let him back into the game. You know, I don't think that's right. And so... So I was disgusted when I heard that. I thought the right decision was made, even though he offered an apology. How many people apologize after the fact? Mm. You, you beat somebody up and then you go, well, you know, I'm really sorry. Cause you know, cause you got caught, right? And because this thing came to the forefront, now he apologizes. It would have been more of a man if he would have thought about this after the fact and reached out to him before it even got into the, the level of that it did and just say, you know what, I've been thinking about it and I was wrong for what I said to you and how I try to get a message across. That would have meant something to me, but you're only sorry when it gets into the papers. Now you're saying you're sorry, right? And that doesn't hold any water with me one little bit. And so did I see that, you know, in my hockey days? I didn't. I did know that, you know, when I played in Flin Flon in my last year junior, 
we had some Native American boys that were playing with us. And, uh, you know, a lot of them back in those days, they lived on a reservation. And I don't think they really had a, I don't think a lot of the white people really treated them too good out there, right? Wow. Uh, and so when they came to our training camp, I know for me, some of the guys, because you could tell they just sit in their stall and they look nervous and mousy. And, and I never would take advantage of somebody like that. And so I never once went out of my way to hit those guys or rough them up. There was a couple guys because you could tell that they were bigger white guys that could, could uh, rough up these aboriginals. Um, and they did it, but they wouldn't have done it against another big tough guy. But mm. because, you know, and maybe that's just a character. Maybe they did it just because they were tougher than that guy and they wanted to show how tough they were. I, I don't know. I hope it wasn't a racist thing, but I know I had never respected that. And I used to run these guys that used to run those guys, mm. right? And because it bothered me because I wasn't, I didn't, because for me, you can't judge, like with Peters, just to go ahead and use those foul words that hurt people. Um, you don't have to treat people that way. You can just talk about the action and not try to label them with something derogatory to hurt them even more. And 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 I, I just, like, I, there's just no room for that in the world and there's just no room for that in sports. And if you're gonna take that step and you think that's the way to be, then you don't belong in the world of sports. Now, the one thing I picked up on, especially in the in the coming days after, and, and please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong on this particular take, is that I've noticed that a lot of the voices of the big names in hockey of today, like, and I'm just using these, for example, like the Sidney Crosby's and the Connor McDavid's and, and, and so the big names in hockey, were noticeably absent in terms of their voices being heard. Like, I mean, you, you know, there's so many great names in, 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 t- in today's NHL in terms of what they do on the ice as well as off the ice. But, but when it came to this particular um, situation, yeah. I didn't hear a whole lot from them. And I, so, I want to get your take as to why, do you, why, why does it seem that some, when it came to some, some of the bigger names, the big pre- prestigious names in, in, in the NHL, that their voices were absent in terms of denouncing the, of this type of behavior and so forth. Well, I know what you're saying, and my first thoughts are, if, if I was one of those, you know, like, a, a, like the name guys, like a Crosby, like you said, or in basketball, Larry Bird, somebody mm-hmm. that carries some weight. If I was asked that question, I would give my honest opinion, okay? But if nobody ever asked me the question, I'd probably say to myself, that is so ignorant and it's being dealt with the way it should be dealt with. And so I don't know if they were asked the question, maybe they should have just volunteered to say, you know what, there's no room for a coach like that. Or maybe they thought, maybe he didn't say it. Maybe it was exaggerated. I can't speak for anybody else. Yeah. I may not have stepped up to give my opinion unless I was asked. But if I was asked, I would hope that I wouldn't give like a standard answer just to blow off the question because it's just too important just to sit on your hands and just, you know, say the status quo, you know, 
it'll work itself out or whatever the answer would be. So I just don't know if anybody was pushed into asking, what do you think about it? Like, I, I, I don't know. And I, and I don't remember what I read in the paper here in Edmonton. If they asked a guy like Connor McDavid, what's your opinion on this? But from what I read from Connor McDavid, he's a quiet guy. He doesn't say too much. He doesn't like drawing attention to himself. But I have heard him in the past step up and give his opinion on when something was wrong. Because, you know, if, uh, if you're a foot soldier in the game of sports, and let's say I do something wrong, well, okay, it's Cam Connor, and all of a sudden they suspended me for 40 games and I pay a price. But if you were Wayne Gretzky that did the same thing, they'd say, well, you know, he didn't know any better, and so he's going to go and take this course, and he didn't miss one game. Like, it just depends who's talking, right, with what <laughs> you can get away with. And so, so with Connor McDavid or Crosby, they could make a stance, and they'd be, you know, like there should be no criticism anyways, but I mean, they can, they can say what they need to say because this is just something that I never saw in hockey. Like I can honestly say, I haven't seen that, but I also know my values growing up as an individual, the values my parents taught me. And uh, I, I personally would have had no problem stepping up um, and just saying that's wrong. And there's no place in hockey. There's no place in sports. Get rid of the guy. And, and you know, if you want to make an example out of him, that's a perfect guy to make an example of. That's my own thoughts. And and I, I really appreciate your candid response. And, and I can feel the passion in which that you, that you speak about this in particular because, because like, I remember back last fall when, when this story broke, it was just so enormous. Like, I'm a person – I listen to Hockey Central – religiously on, on Sportsnet on uh, 590 The Fan out of Toronto. And and this was discussed in great lengths. And I remember as a, as a fan, I was just like outraged. And even even as one who is um, as, as, a, as a radio talk show host and broadcaster, I was just blown away by, by, by just the responses that, um, on social media, you know, and you had some former players that came out and talked about this in, in, in great lengths. And it, and it just got, and it really got me thinking like, wow, like what, what goes on in the, in the, in the NHL locker room in terms of, um, and, I, and I know I mentioned about earlier um, hockey culture, which you answered um, on candidly, but, but some of the, um, the behaviors and so forth, were you ever um, a part of or a victim of, hazing or did you ever see any any like rookies like being hazed back in back in during your playing days well hell yeah i i probably was part of it but to a minimum degree mm. and that's just you know okay when i played as 19 and when i went to flin flon it was automatically when, it, when you were a rookie and you came to that team they would hold you down and they would shave your head oh, like wow. we had the ugliest team you ever saw <laughs> we get in fights and the helmets that come off. And uh, when you're at that age, 17, 18, 19, you sweat a lot and you got pimples. And so we had like, we had guys with pimples all over their face because the hair wasn't absorbing it. We had the ugliest team you ever saw. And, uh, but that's just what it was, right? And uh, when I was 19, I, and I, I don't, you can see I don't have any hair now, but back then and there, I had, 
a huge, a hole full, full of hair. And so they said, well, it's your turn. You're a rookie. You were shaving your head. But it's like I told you. They knew I was tough. And I told them, okay, the first guy that tries to do that to me, grab me. I said, I'm going to just spear you with my hockey stick, man. I said, you're going to pay a price. Anybody that wants, come on, try it. Well, it goes back to what, like I said, Muhammad Ali said, nobody's afraid of a tough guy, but everybody's afraid of a crazy man. They just weren't too sure whether I was going to do what I said, but they knew what I could do. <laughs> so I never got my head shaven because right? they were just too afraid to do that to me. Now, yep. when we get into, into pro, we have rookies, first year in pro, that are cockier than hell. Like cocky, a guy named John Van Beesbrook. He was a goalie. You can Google that guy. He, he played for the Rangers for many years. He was an outstanding goalie, but he had so much confidence in himself. He was always chirping and had something to say, and the guys would say, Johnny, you should be quiet. Nah, blah, 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 blah. And he'd be chirping away. So he got shaved twice. <laughs> right? So, so, you know, so we would do innocent things. Nothing that would, you know, like some of the hazing that I read about that's happened to some individuals. We never took it that that extreme. There was every so often there's somebody, you know, on a team that would take it too far. We say, whoa, 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 don't be doing I won't even give you examples. Uh, we'd say, what are you doing, man? Like, that's enough of that, right? Mm -hmm. So we would say, no, we, we don't cross a certain point. This is always fun. And, you know, okay, your girlfriend's coming down. Okay, well, we're shaving you. And so, you know, we... we yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's brutal. So, oh, that's brutal. So, but, but that's innocent, yeah. right? That's innocent. That's not making you drink four bottles of tequila and you oh, know and geez. here's some hot sauce and like none of that kind of stupid shit so like so so when i talk about hazing or when you talk about hazing you know my definition of hazing isn't anything that hurts anybody it's all pretty innocent maybe you don't look as good as you used to look but your hair will go back <laughs> right? also stuff like that that's that's all we ever did and that's whether you believe it or not in our minds, that's part of bonding. That's just how we. That's just what we did. All innocent stuff, though. So, and it's, it, as 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 you were talking about, like so your experiences, I just can't help but smile and laugh to myself. And I was saying, "Wow, oh man, I don't even know how I would I would react because I'm because I'm not I'm no small guy at all. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's but I, but I, I one thing I want to ask you, I want to shift gears. Um, is I'm sure you've heard about um, the NHL recently coming in an uh, agreement with the NHL Players Association in terms of a 24-team um, playoff format. I want to get your take on, obviously, we're, we're living through unprecedented times, which means uh, everything from here on out is going to be pretty much unprecedented, some things we've never seen before. Yeah. But I'm curious to get your, your, your thoughts and your opinions on the 24-team um, playoff that's been agreed upon between the NHL and the NHL Players Association? You know, Gary Bettman has done a hell of a job 
for the NHL. Like, you know, I think when he came back, he came in. I, I think he's been there 20 years, 25. He's been there. Yeah, he's been there for a while, yeah. Ni- 93, I think, is his first year, I believe. Okay, yeah. there you go. So I think back in those days, if you wanted to buy an NHL franchise, you're looking at $50 million or thereabouts. What is it now? What does Seattle pay? $650 million? $650 million, yeah. Right? Now, so he's brought that up. So his job was to put money in the owner's pockets. And he's done that. And now the players have also benefited because look at their salaries. I'm a mm-hmm. little jealous myself, you know. And so he's done a good job financially putting money in everybody's pocket. In my mind, you know what? I, without having Gary's responsibilities, I would just say, you know what? Let's just start fresh in September, right? Let's just pack the season in. Let's just, uh, Let's start fresh in, and and there's no Stanley Cup winner, and that's just the way it is, unfortunately. That's my own opinion. I'm not saying that I'm right, but that's my opinion. With Gary, I read today in the paper, it said that the NHL is going to lose a billion dollars. Okay, well, they're no different than any other business, really. Very very valid point, yeah. Right, So, Mm -hmm. so they're losing money too, but they know if we play some games, we can't get a paying audience there, but we can get the television money. So he's trying to salvage, in my opinion, some of the season and get the playoffs going and get a, a Stanley Cup champion for none other than to put some more revenue in p- people's pockets. You know, that's why I think he's doing it. Maybe it's a little more complex than what I know. Yeah. Um, if the players have voted, we're in favor of it, whether it's 16 teams or 24 teams, I guess majority rules in life, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, they know a lot more than you and I are, you know, what we read in the paper or maybe you hear on TV. There's maybe more to it. And they go, okay, if we can be safe, if everybody can be safe, then we are willing to do it. So, so. You know, in my opinion, I just think that they probably should have wrote the year off. But there's others that know a lot more about behind the scenes than I do. Last question I'll ask before before I wrap up, wrap up the interview. Um, if and when the season does resume, what team do you think has the best chance of hoisting the Stanley Cup? Well, I think with 10, 15, 20 games to go in the year, you can kind of see what each team was about and what teams are playing well and who's really playing well going towards the playoffs and what yeah. goalies are stopping the pucks. Mm-hmm. You can have an educated guess, okay? Because there's always upsets that first round. And by the way, that first round of the NHL playoffs every year, that is my favorite time of year to watch. I can't hockey. agree more. And last year, when Tampa Bay got upset by Columbus, was yep. the shocker, one of the great shockers of all time. That's a hundred, That's exactly right. Yeah. And so, so with these teams staying off two, three months, whatever, and apparently nobody's even skating, it's like a whole new freaking season. Maybe some teams had injuries. These guys are now healthy. But, I mean, 
if you haven't skated and you don't have access to ice, all of a sudden the playing field is leveled. And how do you predict the team that was doing real good towards the end of the season is going to pick up right where they left off? True. You can't, right? It's so, impossible. Yeah. so I could I could throw out a name, but it's just like me guessing. Like there's there's no facts behind it other than well the end of the season well, you know. But that has just like you said with the playoffs in Tampa Bay last year last year it would not surprise me the teams that were doing well and would be in the position to to maybe win the Stanley Cup if they get bumped off right off the bat it wouldn't surprise me either. Who's to say that some of these players all of a sudden didn't put on five or eight or 10 pounds in the last three months? Maybe, you know, like there's so many factors that come into play, you know, over the shortened season that whatever was valid, you know, towards the end of the year, it's all, let's start starting again, man. There's so many unknown factors as to what's been going on. So I, I, I can't even guess. Because <laughs> that's all it would be. It would be a guess. Like I have no. Another thing is, when you win, it's also has a lot to do with your goaltender. Yes. If that goalie stopping the puck, doesn't matter if the guys ahead of you are struggling to kind of get their game conditioning back. If that guy stopping the puck, they give you such a what's the word I'm looking for? Such increased odds into winning. I I play against some goalies where and you played with Kim, you played with the great King Dryden as well, so like the Hall of Famer. We could have four guys, that, you know, two of our forwards and their two defensemen screening the guy. Man, somehow that puck isn't going in. Like there was just nothing you could do to get that puck by these guys. And so there's there's those kind of variables too. So maybe you know the best goalies on you know at the end of the season all of a sudden they're not that guy anymore so there's just so many factors that uh, come into play so buddy i can't even guess because it, it could be a carolina hurricanes for all we know right yeah or or montreal <laughs> pulling off a shocker well that's just it so it'll be kind of interesting to see what the 24 teams are and then okay let's see what happens if, if that's the way it's going it's it's going to be I'll just offer my final thought to wrap it up. Um, it's that's why I feel like this is going to be so fascinating because even before the pause, the Bruins, in my in my opinion, I'm not saying because I'm a Bruins fan or yeah, yeah. being here in Boston, but the Bruins were that were looking more and more like that team, like that team that could really make ma- make a run. But now, as you mentioned, and you and you mentioned it beautifully, no one skated, so literally. The playing field is even. Everybody is is will be coming back with with cement legs, so to speak. Yeah. Oh, have to have a not skated. Yeah. yeah, no, without a doubt. So you know, in a way, if they do resume, and it sounds like they will, then there are so many unknowns that it could be a team that nobody was predicting them you know, at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but some reason or another, the goalies stopping pucks and these other guys that might have been cheating somehow they found the rink to go skate. Who the hell knows, right? Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. And 
Mr. Uh, Mr. Cam Connor, it's been an absolute pleasure. Standing Cup champion from an NHLer, and and you have a podcast as well. Like, to tell, um, share share with the listener about like what your podcast is and how and where they can find it to listen to you. Well, it's it's just you could just Google view from the penalty box, and uh, you know I have a Twitter page, Cam Connor Twitter. That's all you got to enter. And um, you know I've done about forty three podcasts. Uh, I, I I do it because I enjoy it. My son enjoys it, Chris. And uh, we don't make any money from it. Um, it actually costs us money to do it. <laughs> and so, you know, we just have fun doing it. So, you know, it'd be great if the viewers listen. And uh, it's always very helpful when somebody writes in and, and, and they say, what about this? And how about that? And it gives me things to talk about and, uh, you know, to keep going with my podcast. So, you know, I, I've enjoyed doing it for the last three years. I don't know how much longer I'll do it. Maybe another year, another two. I, I have no idea, but it's uh, it's really good for me and my son. We bond. And a lot of times after the podcast, he, excuse me, he'd say, Dad, I, I never heard that story before. And so, you know, it just gives him a little bit more insight into his father. Absolutely. Mr. Cam Connor, Stanley Cup champion 19, of 1979, former first-round draft pick. It's been an absolute honor and thrill to spend the past hour talking hockey with you of all sorts. Um, it, the, this interview and this episode couldn't have gone any better, and I can't, I can't thank you enough for you being so gracious with your time and as well as taking the time out just to, to share some stories and your insights with me. Well, I appreciate you having me on your podcast, and uh, maybe you can send the, me the link. Absolutely, you got it. Um, I'll send you the the link uh, tomorrow. Um, like, when, like the po- the podcast will be will be up up ready on, on for listening and so yeah, forth. Whatever, for sure, whatever you can do, it, buddy. Awesome, you you, you got it, Mister Cam Connor. Right. Thank you so much, man. All right. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Bye bye. Bye bye.